You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 246. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. We have a really fun interview today, so I just want to get right into it. I was really surprised to learn about how many uh, AJ Jacobs fans we have in the audience. I know there's a lot of people who have actually read the book and have uh, you know, participated in the contest around the book. So uh, I think for those of you who haven't yet, uh, you'll enjoy this interview. And for people who have, you'll enjoy this interview. There's some new stuff. Um, it's not only about puzzles. There's, it's also about probability. It's also about problem solving in general and the process of problem solving, which I really love a lot. So uh, I hope you enjoy my next guest is the author of this book, The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever from Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life. AJ Jacobs, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Max. Delighted to be here. Uh, so yeah, I am uh, excited to have you on the show today, and I am really glad that uh, I got a chance to read your book because it really was, uh, it really was a pleasure. Uh, first of all, I, I just want to say, Thank you, man. and, um, I, I do want to talk. I feel like, I don't know if you get asked much about like how to, how to hone your writing style and stuff. So I, I want to get into that a little bit before we get into the, 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 the deep question of the puzzles. But like my, my first question, well, first of all, let me hold it up. Book is called the puzzler. Uh, was there an event that occurred in your life that led you to write this? Well, I was actually working on a totally different book, uh, which is uh, a book. I still like the premise, but uh, the writing it was overwhelming and making me stressed and depressed. So I uh, and I'll just tell you what it was. I may come back to it someday. It was all about the post-truth crisis. You know, how do we know what we know? It was sort of epistemology. Uh, uh, and it was called fact checking my life. And how do I know the world is round? How do I know that my wife loves me? She says she does. How do I know that the New York Times is more reliable than Fox News? So it was a fascinating topic. But again, I I was kind of overwhelmed. And I was worried I was going to contribute more to the problem than to, to the solution. And my agent said he knew I loved puzzles. I'm a lifelong puzzle nerd. And he says, well, why don't you explore that as a book? And I thought, well, yeah, spending two and a half, three years just doing a deep dive into puzzle nerdery and problem solving and meeting all these crazy, delightful, eccentric people who obsess over puzzles. That sounds pretty good. So that's how I ended up writing it. Uh, now, so that was quite a shift. And I, I, uh, I, I want I feel like I'm going to be very negative when putting this question to you. No, I, I feel like there's there's kind of a, a little voice in 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 each of us when we're doing these puzzles, which is like, we're adults. We shouldn't waste our time on this puzzle. <laughs> this is for kids. Uh, you know what? What did you have that kind of nagging feeling? And did did you feel like there was um, some some good arguments for for getting over that, or some good reasons? Oh yeah. Well, historically, there's been this tension between people who say puzzles are a waste of time and the New York Times now has you know dozens of puzzles it's a huge money maker for them but early on they 
wrote editorials about how crossword puzzles were a pestilence and they condemned this other puzzle craze in the 1820s as a, a monstrous waste of time. And, you know, they saw it as like the crack ep epidemic. But on the other hand, there's been a long tradition, centuries long, of puzzles as a way to sharpen your mind. That was one of the first puzzle books was called uh, How to Sharpen the Mind and, uh, and, and how it makes you think in creative ways. So it's, um, it's not just a joy to do, but it has some redeeming value. And you can guess which side I fall on. I for think sure. they are a force for good. Uh, and sh I'm sure there's some rationalization on that because I've spent so many thousands of hours doing it. But I do believe just even from my one data point of myself, I think it has helped me be a better thinker and a happier person. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned in, in one time in the book, and, and, and correct me if I'm um, wrong about the, if I, I misremember it, but you said there was one point in your life where you either were either quit puzzles or you were thinking about quitting puzzles and you said, hey, this is going to save how many, this many hours in a week and I can get this, 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 and this done. And it just, it just didn't work. Is that, is that kind of accurate? <laughs> that is, is that... fair. Yes. Okay. I at one point thought I would go cold turkey and, and I just came back to it. And yeah, I thought that I would, you know, be volunteering for Habitat for Humanity and building houses, but instead I was just uh, doing other vices or arguable vices that were worse than uh, than puzzle, you know, whatever it was, playing, um, you know, Angry Birds, which you could argue what it was a puzzle in, in its own right. Yeah, no, I, I, I was thinking about that, and it kind of reminded me of, um, I don't want to speak for everybody, but our addiction to social media mm. uh, as like, you know, um, maybe it's, you know, maybe... It's not like you're going to quit that and then go immediately into using that time to solve all the greatest problems in the world. But maybe maybe puzzling would be a, a healthier use of time. I don't know if there's a way to like measure that, but um, well, I certainly think and you know there is some science. It's kind of soft science, but that it it will make you have. I mean, there's certainly I do think social media has the capacity to make you incredibly depressed. but um, one of the meta puzzles that I think about a lot is how do I make myself happy? How do I, and not just me, but how do I make uh, myself happy, but also make me a productive citizen who will help make others happy? And I think that is, if you approach that like a puzzle, uh, I find that very empowering. Uh, and there's a quote, uh, from Quincy Jones, the great music producer who says, I don't have problems, I have puzzles. Uh, so, which I love, because I think it's a great frame, a great reframe. Problems are very intractable and unpleasant, whereas puzzles are like, it's solution oriented, like, let's roll up our sleeves and figure it out. So trying to reframe problems, crises, um, arguments as puzzles, I find incredibly helpful and, and it makes me happier. Yeah. I, I, I want to get into a few for a second. I always, whenever I have these uh, discussions, always different episodes I did pop into my head. And one of them was, <laughs> uh, 
we did an episode on video games. We had a panel of like, you know, successful people who were like, yeah, this is the inspiration I got from my product through video games. And so it's interesting how, you know, sometimes things that are, were once called a vice, um, and, and they could be, I don't know. I feel like video games could be, and it's not like every single thing the New York times ever called a vice is, it ends up being a good thing. You have to actually decide what, 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 <laughs> what it is or not. But I, I was actually, it's interesting. I was in, um, there's a similar story with, uh, pinball machines. I was in mm. Asheville, North Carolina recently in the pinball museum and like they had like yeah people were in the 30s just destroying these things and banishing them from their cities and now i don't know i feel like some of these puzzles though these kind of thinking games are actually better for you than some of these other things which you know are are maybe neutral maybe not as bad as people say but uh but i um, agree i mean i think anything can be a vice if you do it too much uh and not every puzzle is as good as another puzzle at making you think i mean uh I have nothing against Waldo. I actually am a fan of those visual puzzles, but I don't think they're going to make you, you know, a, a brilliant out of the box thinker. Um, whereas something like lateral thinking or logic puzzles or math puzzles or word puzzles, those all have the potential to teach you lessons. And in fact, I've written set like I wrote an article for Time and and another one for LinkedIn about uh, here are the lessons I learned on how puzzles taught me how to change my thinking and i'm happy to go over some of them if you want but yeah um, uh, yeah well i have a few that that come to mind but why don't we start with uh, an example that that you like uh sure well maybe it's the same example <laughs> first there's the meta the meta example of turning life into a series of puzzles uh but more specifically uh even the phrase think outside the box which is now a cliche I I mentioned in my book, it is originally from a puzzle. It is those nine dots on a page. And the puzzle is how do you connect nine dots using only four straight lines? And the only way to do it is to go outside the bounds of the box. So I do love that. I love puzzles teach you to take a problem and turn it all different ways, Uh, even literally upside down. I worked at Esquire magazine for a long time. And my boss, the editor-in-chief, when we had ideas brainstorming sessions, would bring in the Heinz ketchup bottle that has the lid on the bottom. You know what I'm talking about? Because, like, Uh, you're much younger. But when I grew up, it was like a normal bottle with the lid on the top. But now, if you buy Heinz, the lid is on the bottom so when you store it the ketchup is all down at the bottom so oh, you I don't see, I have see. to wait you don't have to hit the top of the bottom of the bottle and so literally yeah, that. taking something and turning it upside down can be and that's you know that can be is the the assembly line instead of the workers going to the car parts the car parts come to the workers so a lot of great ideas are all about reversal. And that's just one of the, the many lessons that, that I'm happy to give others, but that's, that's just yeah. one example. You I, want I, more? Well, no, I, I mean, a few popped into my head that, 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 that were in the book. Uh, it, it's the one that, um, it's the one where it's like move one of the digits to make this math equation true. And it was like a very simple one. It was like, you know, 30 minus 33 equals, uh, three, 
Do you, do you remember that one? Yeah, sure, so, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I was thinking about the solution to that, and I hate to, I hate to ruin it for everybody, but the book is full of these. So. <laughs> there <laughs> well, you go. No. Okay, so the, so the idea is like, okay, you're allowed to, uh, the solution is you could move one of the digits up uh, and make it an exponent. And right. that's the solution. And I was thinking about, you know, imagine if you had a really complicated one of these, like some equation that goes on lines and lines and lines. And then it was like, you know, move a digit and make it correct. And I could write a program that does it. You know, I could even write a program that, you know, if there are too many combinations, it could do some kind of smart search and, and figure out the, uh, the solution. But if I, as the programmer, can't think outside the box and be like, hey, this exponent thing is one of the allowable moves, mm. then it's never going to solve the problem. And so it's like, it, you almost need to, it, 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 it's, it's a type of thinking that requires uh, a, a certain way of, like, it, it's, it, it's sort of, it, these problems are like the anti-brute force solution mm. like they, they they encourage you to be like hey don't bang your head against the wall with brute force try to think of a a secret or a, a, yeah. a, a trap trap door or something like that so i, I love I the like anti-brute force framing and yeah i think that's it i think it, they teach you to get rid of your hidden assumptions because your hidden assumption when you uh hear the word move you think oh it's going to be moving right or left whereas actually it can also move up or down so taking I think that's another thing that puzzles have taught me is to be wary of words because a lot of, especially word puzzles are all about word play. Uh, and so uh, Will Shorts, the crossword editor of the New York Times, his favorite clues are word play. His favorite clue, I believe, is something along the lines of um, this turns into another story. And the answer is spiral staircase. So instead of story as a, uh, uh, you know, like the narrative, it's a story as in uh, levels on a building. So I feel English is, and all languages are so tricky because one word can have, the word set, I found this out for my book, the word set has over 600 definitions in the Oxford English wow. Dictionary. That's insane. So it's a very inefficient yeah. and confusing language. And that, to me, a lot of problems just boil down to, all right, this word encompasses like 14 different things. Let's break it down and see which one of those we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the set is an interesting one because even in... In mathematics, there was like, uh, you know, first they defined select, set as a collection of objects, but it turned out that that caused all sorts of contradictions. And so now they have all these like axioms and rules on what a set is and what a set is not. And so <laughs> it's, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, I could, I could imagine that being quite complicated. Um, uh, one thing I want to ask about is, so, so you talk a lot in the book about working on these puzzles with your your family members, like with your with your kids and with your wife and all that. And so it, it occurred to me, like, you know, some of these kind of brain puzzles are things that that kind of distinguish it maybe from from work, where or, or from something where you need expertise. It's like different generations can work together. People oh, who work good. in different fields can work together. What did, did how, how how did you um. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how, how, how is it that, like, you know, 
I feel like people who work in highly specialized fields uh, maybe don't have quite an advantage uh, when it comes to right. some of these puzzles, even though, you know, I, I'm remembering the people who do the, the jigsaw puzzles, but put them aside for a second, like some of these <laughs> ones that just, just pop out of nowhere. Um, yeah. Well, I love that question. And there are two points that it brings up for me. First is just the idea of working on a puzzle together. It really is a bonding experience. So this idea of you doing puzzles alone is usually the exception when I talk to uh, hardcore puzzlers. They talk about how it brings them together as a family. And in fact, the inventor of Wordle, Josh Wordle, I saw him speak at the National Crossword Puzzle Tournament, and he talked about how he gets hundreds of emails from people saying Wordle was like a unifying experience. Uh, he tells one story about a gay man whose conservative parents ostracized him, and Wordle was what brought them together. So it sounds almost... Um, uh, apocryphal, but uh, he seems trustworthy, so I believe him. The second point is, well, I love what you say, a good puzzle will often require different strategies and different types of thinking. So um, my wife has a company that puts on scavenger hunts, and it's all about team building, and someone might be strong at pattern recognition, someone might be strong at word play, and you need all of those. And the sort of the extreme example of this is the MIT mystery hunt, which you may know about. Uh, it's every year and on the MIT campus, 2000 people come uh, to work on it for 72 hours straight on the hardest, craziest puzzles. And these puzzles, the teams are 50 people, sometimes more, because you need people with different skill sets. You need, you need an astrophysicist, you need a surgeon, you need uh, uh, yeah, someone who's an expert in, uh, Beastie Boys lyrics, whatever it is. Uh, and that I think is, is a lovely. And finally, and then I'll shut up, um, Cass Sunstein, the, he's a great legal scholar. He talks about an experiment where people from conservatives and liberals, you put them in a room, one of the few activities that brought them together that they didn't fight about was doing a crossword puzzle. So uh, I'm a little facetious when I say crossword puzzles can save the world, but I, you know, I think there's a seed of truth to it. Doing it sounds something. like, yeah, it's the okay. same thing with Wordle and, and all the other things you're talking about. And even, you know, even just bringing families together, even if you're not fighting, you know, just something that, that, that you could be almost on an equal level. Exactly. Right. Do you think, um, <laughs> I wrote here, uh, you, you talk a lot about the, psychology of, of solving these problems, like the different emotions that you go through um, and, um, and, and, and handling that. Did, you, did anything surprise you with, with, with some of these problems, like when you, di when, you, when, you, um, when you dived into it, like, oh, that was a very different experience than what I expected? Well, it is a more, far more emotional uh, experience because, you, you know, you get frustration, you get joy, you get surprise. I will say... In terms of solving puzzles and problems of all kinds, frustration is the enemy. Uh, and because I have read some studies that anger, when, when you get anger, you get tunnel vision and it, it impedes your ability to take cognitive leaps, which is what you need for a good puzzle or problem. So I 
there's this psychologist, a child psych, I have kids and I watched a child psychologist say, when you're dealing with kids, don't get, don't get furious, get curious, get curious, not furious. And I love that as a motto for everything and especially solving problems, you know, try to retain a playful state of mind. And if you get too frustrated, you got to walk away because the frustration is just going to bring you into this narrow hole where you cannot come up with a solution. I'm it's interesting. This is the, the second interview in a row that, 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 that is, um, uh, that is related to that topic. Cause I, I, I just did an episode on the job search where, you know, my interviewee said the most important thing is to, uh, manage your, you know, manage your emotional state, your psychology. Mm, right. I'm like, well, now that I'm thinking about it, it seems like that is an important skill for for any sort of problem that that you're you're facing, and maybe these puzzles help you practice that in kind of a in kind of a a sandbox way. And I feel like everybody needs to continually work on that. You know? Oh yeah, I mean that is a huge thing I work on managing and sort of almost taking a very um, bird's eye view of it. So when you're confronted with a problem, say you know, here are four strategies I could try. Let me see which one works best. And if that strategy doesn't work, let me switch to another strategy. And that's one of my big tips in terms of puzzle solving. Like, so you write before, the strategies down beforehand. Right. Well, sometimes saying. I guess sometimes. I'm not that organized. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry. One, go ahead. Make your point. I, I was maybe. Uh, one point is before you start doing the brute force or start, you know, just um, churning away at a problem, take a step back and say, what would be, so I'll give you an example is a, it's a famous story, perhaps apocryphal about the mathematician, uh, Gauss. He was like in the 1600s in Germany and he was nine years old. And the school teacher said, okay, your assignment today, you might know this. I feel you might know this, but, uh, the, it's okay. We haven't. I don't think we've done it in the podcast for at least a good two years. So, all right, there you uh, go. or maybe we've never done it in the podcast. But definitely, well, definitely say story. this. I feel like you can tell the story very well. Yeah, go uh, for it. So, the the teacher said the assignment for today is to add up all the numbers between one and a hundred. And um, nine seconds later, Gauss raises his hand, and I said, "Okay, I got it." And the teacher is incredulous. They're like, how could you do it that fast? And the way he did it is he resisted the temptation to do the default, which is, of course, you know, one plus two is three, and then add another three, that's six, add a four, and that's 10. Like, that's going to take you a long time. So he took a step back and said, is there a better way to solve this, like a shortcut? And uh, and the, the best method that I know of is what he did, he... he turned it into pairs. So he realized one plus 100 is 101, two plus 99 is 101, three. So you, all of them equal 101. You have 100 numbers, 50 pairs. So 50 times 101, that's 5,050. Not that hard. So don't jump into a solution when you can just like say, let's pot. And I do this with team building events too. It's like, instead of you get the scavenger hunt. Don't run off and start doing it. Like pause for five minutes and talk about your strategy. This is, this is uh, again, the, the theme is, you know, uh, brute force is 
is the enemy. I mean, sometimes brute force <laughs> is the solution, but it's like it's teaching you to be like, hey, I can. Uh, there, there's some, there's some trick here uh, that that's gonna, yeah, you know, that that's gonna, that's gonna change my life. <laughs> that's gonna at least change my <laughs> outcome of this problem. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love that example. I, 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 I like to, if I want to teach kids about math and get them interested in it, that's probably one of my for a certain age. That's like one of my go-to examples. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great uh, one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so what we, we have to talk about this cause this podcast is called the local maximum and the idea of, of the local maximum is that, you know, you get to a certain point and now every direction you go is down. So you're like, okay, well <laughs> I'll stay at this point. Um, but then sometimes you have to go down to reach another peak. That's, that's, that's way higher. And I feel like this is a theme that's like all over this book. So maybe you could talk about that for a little bit. Absolutely. Yes. Sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards and, and one of the clearest demonstrations of this is I have a chapter. I break the book up into 20 different types of puzzles. So the ones crosswords, which were my first love, but also Japanese puzzle boxes and uh, acrostics and all of these. And one of them was mazes. And I went to what purports to be the hardest maze in the world, which is in Vermont, the great Vermont corn maze. Yeah. And the, by the way, and, one thing just to sell the book a little bit, one thing I like about this book is like, it takes you to like all these different places. Like you go to Spain, you go to Vermont and you go to, you know, it's like, I, ah, I feel like I'm going you. on, I'm going on like a, a trek. I mean, Vermont here in New Hampshire is not that. That's exciting, right. But you know, That's like, you're, you're nearby. <laughs> but, yes, I do. I go around the world. I definitely, yeah. it's not a sitting in place uh, book. And, but this guy who runs it is hilarious because he is just gleefully sadistic. He loves the fact that people are totally frustrated and it takes them hours and, and couples bicker and break up and people burst into tears. <laughs> God, <laughs> He's hilarious. But and you anyway, know what? It's, it's also like, why, why are we laughing at this? And like somehow it's like, it's just, it's funny. It is. I, you know, I think it's because it's self-inflicted pain like that. Yeah. That's sort of comedy when you, you know, you know that it's not not real. Um, but anyway, he talks about how he he has sort of a trick. Uh, it was a bell that he rang and the, the bell was at the very end of the maze and he would ring it and everyone would just like uh, like sheep just go towards the sound of the bell. But that's not the way to solve the maze because it's a maze. You have to go backwards to go forwards. So he was trying to pe teach people the solutions are not a straight line. Sometimes they are, but the majority of them, you have uh, you you have your local maximums, and then you've got your true maximums. Yeah, yeah. I, I was definitely thinking of that most often when it was uh, when it was the maze. Um, I, I wrote a little. I wrote a little story here that um, is kind of like not not a story, but like a, a series of events that is is kind of frustrating. Is, is the idea was of, as I was reading that chapter, and the idea was okay. There's a maze. You're going through the maze. Okay, maybe you get to a few dead ends, but you pretty much go right. You go left, and you see the exit, and you go toward the exit, and you're looking you're looking around, and you see oh look, there's a bridge, and there's a there's a trap door, and there's a tunnel, and there's a zip line. And you go to the end, and just as you get to the end, <laughs> you win. And that's the end. 
and you don't get to look at all that interesting stuff. In the, yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's a terrible story. I would, I would hate that. I'd be like, well, what? And it's like, no, if you want to go back in the maze, you got to pay the fee again. You know, like what? <laughs> right. A maze, a good maze is one that takes you on unexpected turns. Right. And there is like, um, right. The end I of that remember- story shouldn't be that you, you just win. Right. And, and there is a, in maze, there's a, uh, like a joke that I guess, you know, whatever ethnicity, like, I guess the French think the Belgians are dumb. So if it's a French person, they'll say a Belgian maze is one where it's just two straight lines. So, you know, that's, that's not fun. That is, you want something that surprises you. So that's another big theme of this book is, is the joy of surprise, the aha moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely lessons in there probably for like design and, um, and, and storytelling. Um, totally. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, and I'm not the first to say this, a lot of people I interviewed say puzzles and stories are very similar. You have to have conflict and resolution. You have to have surprises. And, um, and Stephen Sondheim, the great uh, lyricist of Broadway, he was also a huge puzzle nerd. And he talked about, yeah, that it's, it provides all of the same satisfaction as a great story. The, uh, you know, the sort of the, the surprise and the anxiety and the release and all of that. So yeah, very much. It's, it's what we crave. It's what we crave sort of these um, aha moments along the way leading to the big aha moment at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, uh, I, I have to talk about this, but I'm about to wade into a part of the book that's a little bit more frustrating epistemology than uh, fun problem solving. But that's the <laughs> that's the Sleeping Beauty problem because we talk, this is like a, a, a probability podcast, so we have to talk about this. Oh, um, yes. maybe, maybe you could start by uh, t- telling the audience what the Sleeping Beauty problem is and and what. What yeah, has, happened? Me, what has well, happened to the world with the release of this problem? Well, it is hilarious. I had never heard of it. You I'm probably have. No, I, I, I had not. I had is not. Even, right? as, oh. even as someone who struggled with probability questions for, for a long time, this is that it was new to me. That is funny. Well, although uh, some most, of the issues many, around it. Many people have heard of the Monty Hall problem, right? The, where, you know, that one where there are two good, goats behind the curtains and yeah and, i mean even i don't know if the audience has, has all heard of it but but yeah that's a oh. more common one well that's a more common one that involves counterintuitive probabilities um and that one blows my mind but this one is even more complicated and confusing and i still have i have not been able to wrap my mind around it i am not the only one the good part is there are people, there are mathematicians and philosophers have been debating this for the 30 years it's been around. There have been over a hundred philosophy papers about the problem. And it's all about epistemology and they and you know multi-universes and and it is just insane. I will give the puzzle. Um, let me try to find. Oh, I I hope you edit this a little because um I can Call up oh, sure. how I wrote it in the book, if, uh, if you give me a second. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let me just do that. Okay. 
I got the book, and now I'll read you awesome. how it's. Um, it's exciting. All right, so here's how it how it goes, and again, this is way beyond my. Uh, I I'm decent at puzzles, but this one blew my mind. Yeah, well, it's also a it 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 was more of a question slash puzzle, and I feel like. I have some thoughts on it. Then again, I've only been able to put in a couple days of, of, of work. And every time I feel like I've pinned it down, there's like a little bit of doubt, but let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, present the puzzle first and then, and then maybe All right. we can talk about Sounds it. Sounds great. Well, do you want me to, should I read the Monty Hall one really quickly or just go uh, straight to, um, which we can would your go, listeners uh, like? We can go. Maybe we could start with the Monty Hall one. Let's 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 remind people right, of that. Well, it's short. Uh, yeah, let that me one's remind. that one's nicer because that one you could actually test out. We actually learned that one in high school. You could actually test out and play the game and right. see it if you get it right a, or this not. This one so, has a correct answer, and it so, was yeah. it was made famous by Marilyn Vos Savant, uh, who wrote about it in Parade Magazine and in in the eighties, and all of these. Professional mathematicians told her she was an idiot, but it turned out she was right. All right. So this yeah. one is, suppose you're on a game show. You're given the choice of three doors. Behind one door is a car. Behind the others are goats. You pick a door, say door number one, and the host, who knows what's behind all the doors, he opens another door. So he opens door three, which has a goat. So he doesn't open one. He opens three, and you see a goat. So now you have one and two, which are not open. And he says to you, do you want to stick with number one or switch your choice to door number two? What should you do? Now, my gut instinct is, why would I switch? It's the same thing. And why? It's crazy to switch because it's going to be a, uh, you know, it's a one and three no matter what. But no, that is not the right answer. The right answer is, Yes, you should switch your choice because what he did is he he changed the odds because he knew what was behind that door number three. So now it goes from, what is it? Uh, you have a two and three probability of winning now instead of your initial odds of right. one and three. This is like that, that one third probability from the door he opens gets transferred to the other one because he exactly. couldn't have opened your door, you know, so... Uh, right, right. Yeah. So that one is that one. I like. Sorry about the sirens there. I'm in New York. That's City. what happens. Yeah. Like... I remember my the before I moved to New Hampshire, my my episodes were full of sirens. So <laughs> this is the uh, this is the beginning of that. Okay. So there's right, that so... one. That's already. I mean, even though it has a straight answer, it's it's amazing. Uh, you know how many um, you know how many people it 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 stumped. Um, which is sort of a, you know, a lesson to sometimes stay humble about these things. As much as I, you know, my, my lesson there is as much as I think I know about probability, it's like, wait, don't jump to conclusions, I even if I that. get that right. But it's, it's yeah, it, right. it shows yeah, how tough I these things can be. I love that lesson. Be humble and be epistemically humble. And also, yeah, don't necessarily trust your gut. Your gut can work sometimes, but in many cases, it leads you astray. Okay, so this is called the sleeping beauty problem is... The following sleeping beauty volunteers to undergo the, uh, an experiment and she is told that on sunday she will be put to sleep and then once or twice during the experiment sleeping beauty will be woken up 
interviewed and put back to sleep with an amnesia-inducing drug that makes her forget that she woke up. All right, so that is Sleeping Beauty. She's in an experiment. She's either going to be woken up once during the experiment or twice, and she'll have no yeah. memory. And a fair of coin, a fair coin, will be tossed to determine which route will be taken. So if it's heads, Sleeping Beauty will be woken up and interviewed on Monday only. If it's tails, she'll be woken up and interviewed on Monday and Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, she's woken up for good. All right, so... At any time Sleeping Beauty is woken up and interviewed, she will not be able to tell which day it is or whether she has woken up before. All right, so here's the end of it. The question is, what should Sleeping Beauty say if she is asked, what is your credence now for the proposition that the coin landed on heads? Right. So again, if it's so heads, she's woken up once. If it's tails, she's woken up Monday and Tuesday and then woken up. So, yeah. The, so the interesting word there is uh, credence, I think. Uh, I feel like that's a word where it's like, okay, what, what are we talking about here? What should she believe? Right. right. What is, and it turns out there is a feud uh, among philosophers of people who think that she should say the pro that it's um a 50 50 odds that it was a, a one and two basically one and two versus one and three so halfers versus thirders and they hate each other and <laughs> they're even subgroups within them of uh, people who try to parse it even more but anyway so should she say half it's half because the coin is fair. So she has no new information. Yeah. But then the third are saying, no, she does have new information because think She's of it. If woken she, up. Yeah. If yeah. she were woken up, you know, a hundred times, then it's more likely it would be um, the tails. Anyway, it is, uh, it is mind blowing. What was your take on it? So I, I, I think mine matched yours, but first of all, let's talk about your take first, because you actually had time to seek out other opinions, which I have not yet. So you came down on the third side. Is that, is that correct? Are you still, still, still I there? Or? I have, as you say, I, I try to remain humble. So I would say I have a 60% uh, credence that it is a third and 40% <laughs> on 30, 33%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're incredibly smart people who will argue brilliantly for both. And it's funny that it's almost like when you're looking at an optical illusion and you can see the bunny and then you can see the old man. So when a halfer is telling me his theory, I'm like, oh, yeah, it is half. And then a thirder will say, no, it's a third. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it is a third. So, you know, I am not sophisticated enough mathematically to know for sure to have a strong opinion. But my intuition is, yes, it's a third, because one method of solving problems is to uh, to ask what it would be like if you almost take it to the extreme. So with Monty Hall problem, you say, well, what if there were 100 curtains and and he opened up all of the curtains except for two, then it becomes clearer that you should switch. 
And in this one, you can apply a similar strategy. What if it were a hundred, she were woken a hundred times, then it becomes a little clearer to me yeah. that it's half, but I am not certain at all. You mean, uh, you mean one out of a, one out of a 101, if, if she's woken right. up once on Monday, but, or once for heads and a hundred times for tails. Exactly. Right. Oh, and let yeah. me, before I turn it back to you, I mean, the, the halfer that I talked to was a wonderful guy. He was a math teacher and this literally drove him uh, to the verge of insanity. He spent two years, he said, basically staring at a wall, thinking about it. And his wife was freaked out. And it was like, it's almost like the, um, there are a lot of know, Monty, like what? <laughs> there are some problems like that in, in mathematics, yeah. especially. Right. They're dangerous. It's like Monty yeah. Python sketch about the the joke that is so funny, it'll kill you. I, I feel there's a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I also think it's a third, um, but it's it's very interesting. I, I I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna. I feel like I need to maintain an open mind in this because right uh, before she's put asleep for the first time, uh, I I tend to put myself in this position. So before, let's say I'm the I'm the test subject. Before oh, I'm put to good. sleep for the first time, if the um, if the coin is, uh, the coin has been flipped, but they haven't put me to sleep yet. It's got to be a half at that point. Um, then it's just when you're woken up. And I think the, I, I think they're, rather than trying to get both sides to settle on an answer, there has to be a way to kind of like dive into the problem and ask, you know, is there, a, is there kind of a misunderstanding of what's going on? Because uh, the test subject is giving a, a credence, a belief over, we're assigning probabilities as to, to what happened. And it's like, right. well, what, how do we score that in the end um, mm. is a good question. And so let's suppose we come up with a method of scoring how well you did and you want to maximize your average score. Mm. You know, so, you know, one way to score it is basically you go through the experiment and whenever you give a probability, that gets marked down, and then the every time you give a probability, you look at the uh, you look at the odds that you placed on the correct answer. So let's say it's it, you know, it would be a, th a third if it were heads, and if it's two thirds if it were tails, and then you multiply those together. Uh, that could mm. be one way of scoring it, like you know, um, and that's kind of a standard sort of prob probabilistic score. Like what was the what was the what was the probability that I assigned to the answer that actually turned out to be correct? So if you use that scoring system, then you get a third. But I could imagine, I could imagine halfers would probably say that's not the right scoring system to use. <laughs> and right. I, I could also imagine like, this also gets into the question of like, what's the value of a belief if there are no consequences to that belief. Like there's no, uh, you know, if you don't have, um, I still have to say like beliefs could be right or wrong, even if you, even if there are no consequences, but yeah. Right. I, I well, feel I like, there, I feel like there's iffiness in that statement though. I feel like if you, if you do write your epistemology book, I feel like there are beliefs <laughs> that, I feel like there are beliefs that are kind of, um, uh, you know, simplifications of the world, right or wrong might be, it might be hard to fit them in right or wrong as well. So and it, well, that like, isn't, I actually like yeah. that point very much. That was going to be one of the points I wrote about in my epistemology book is, is that we're very black and white with the word belief, true and false. And I think that might be a mistake. I think 
we should think more probabilistically, more Bayesian and say, you know, there's a 60% chance this is true. There's a, and he, I even try to do this in my life, much to my wife's exasperation. So I'll say something, you know, what time she'll ask, what time will you be home? Oh, there's a 70% chance I'll be home at six. There's a, you know, 20% chance it'll be much later. But I think that is the way the world works in probabilities. So yeah, I'm with you. I wonder if your wife could mark down whenever you make such a statement and then see if you are miscalibrated <laughs> mm. in terms of, uh, you know, people do that on, uh, there's this, uh, there's this prediction, um, uh, there's this prediction site. It's not a prediction market. It's just a site called Metaculus where people put different probabilities on things. And it, it could be that you, you know, you, you tend to have a good signal on which is more likely, like A is more likely than B, but you're kind of miscalibrated. Whereas if you put something at 80%, it's really 60%. If you put something at 10%, maybe it's really 20%. So some people are more calibrated towards the center. Some people right. are more calibrated toward the end. So uh, no, you're, it would be uh, interesting to, uh, to, to get that data <laughs> if your family I, should get that data. 100%. And well, 100%. That's funny. Um, <laughs> I, I do think, yeah, we definitely need to check our predictions much more against what happens. And that is one of the huge problems with the media is that you've got these pundits who make predictions with zero consequences. And the most popular, the more confident and black and white they are, the more popular they are because people want that kind of confidence and certainty even though those are the ones who are far more likely to be wrong. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I, I agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a, a follow-up, but yeah, no, I, no, you're totally right. Um, one of the things I found when, when writing, when reading this book is like, I'm just like laughing as I'm going through it. And so I, I appreciate like, but I don't know exactly why I'm laughing. Like, how did you, um, I, you know, I wish I could uh, write in this way, but I write technical documents sometimes. So it's like, I'll put in like an inside joke, but it's not going to make anyone laugh. <laughs> um, so how did you, uh, um, uh, do you have a certain strategy for, um, you know, coming up with that way of writing or is that just come naturally to you? Well, uh, I mean, there are a couple of uh, points I can make. One, one is just in terms of not just humor, but making a writing interesting, I think one of the keys is to mix up, uh, I think monotony is what gets people bored. So anything you can change up is good. Anytime you can change like the unexpected statement, unexpected say, well, I'm just talking about length of sentence vary the length of sentence, vary the type of sentence, vary question, put question marks, exclamation points in. Um, and, uh, and this of course has tons of puzzles. And so put in those or put in lists. So that is just one trick I use to keep writing, writing interesting in terms of humor. Uh, the overlap between puzzles and humor is huge. And I interviewed one of the original Simpsons writers, Mike Reese, who's been on it for the whole run. And he's a huge puzzle head. And he says they're, they're very similar because it's all about, like you say, all about surprise, all about having this one piece that comes at the end that's, that makes sense, but it's also a surprise. And he gives the example of, of like a puzzle joke 
which was uh, the one he gave was a skeleton walks into a bar and says, I'll take a beer and a mop. And, you know, it's not hilarious, but it does take you okay. like, you know, yeah. tens, five seconds, whatever it is. It takes you a second to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, what's it's a second to why? figure out? About, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why is he asking for a beer and a mop? Um, he had another one that was slightly better about towels and uh, hotels. But but the point is, yes, it's you like have to read. You have to buy the book to get that one. There you go. Uh, but yeah, jokes a lot of times are puzzle that you have to solve. And the solving gives you this unexpected joy that leads to laughter. Yeah. And that was a that was a selfish question for myself in terms of trying to get back that spark, because I feel like all those years of coding, you know, <laughs> have been like it kind of knocks that temptation out of you because if you're too uh unexpected while coding uh it's um it's ah, fun right. but it 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 it, it kind of screws up the organization <laughs> that is so interesting yeah it's yeah. the kind of the opposite goal yeah you don't want surprise um yeah but i did one of my friends who used to write for the daily show said that he he tries to surprise himself while writing, which is counterintuitive. Mm. Like, how do you surprise yourself? You are, you know what you're doing, but you can do it. You can like do a twist at the end of a sentence and be like, oh, I didn't expect that. And that is a wonderful feeling when you can do that. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's interesting. I'll think about it. And honestly, I think I could do probably a whole episode on the sleeping beauty problem. Maybe bring my co-host on here and we can we can oh, try to hash guys, that out. Yeah, so, please don't involve uh, me because I have no, you have gone way beyond. But I can tell totally, yeah, well, send it. I can get you great mathematicians and philosophers who will debate for uh, several days about it. Oh, for you. well, then that's more than one episode. But yes, I I, <laughs> no, I, I would be interested. All right, so um. Yeah, I think we I think we we went through a lot here. I f I feel like there's a lot in the book that um uh you know, people have a good taste of what they're going to get in the book and um it, I I feel like we just had some really interesting uh discussions, but um maybe you could tell us any last thoughts about the book, about the discussion today, what you want people to know and where could they find out more about you? I know I didn't talk about some of your other stuff which you know, there's so much interesting stuff out there, but uh this is your time to to let us know. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, I. Uh, the book is called The Puzzler, and um, uh, my website is ajjacobs.com. I will say one thing um, that I hid a secret code in the introduction to the book, and there was a contest for $10,000 for first one to crack the code and go on the website and solve these puzzles. So that's over. But the good news mm. is that if you go to the website, you don't even have to buy the book, but thepuzzlerbook.com and the introduction is there for free and you can find the code. And if you don't want to bother finding it, I actually have it on the website. You can cheat. But I just want to give it a plug because if you put that code in, it opens up to a suite of 25 mind-bending puzzles uh and they are so creative and they are like we said surprising so they'll be you know combining sudoku and uh, i don't know chinese checkers and they're they're just really creative i can say that because i didn't write any of them so i can boast as much as i want 
uh, Greg Pliska, a professional puzzle maker, and this another series of people wrote them. And they are super fun. They're free. And they will give you a taste of this sort of new level of puzzles that you won't see in the newspaper, this that the MIT mystery hunt has. And, um, and there are hints if you need them. But yeah, give it a shot. Go to the puzzlerbook.com, even if you don't want to buy the book, which I hope you do, which I hope you do. But those are super fun. All right. That's very good to know. AJ Jacobs, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Max. Thank you. It was a great conversation. I love talking about the deeper implications of the epistemology and psychology of puzzles. Yeah, yeah. So now you got you now. You, now you have to get into your your new book. You have an assignment. Sorry if that drives you crazy, but uh, you know <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or you could let someone else write it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and by the way, last thing you can cut this out. But um, I listened to a previous episode, which I enjoyed very much, and uh, and you referenced my friend Kevin Roos's article um in the new york times about the ai that won the art contest oh I, yes 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 i just want to say i'm glad you you know you were positive about him because he is one of the tech writers out there who really knows what he's doing and he's thoughtful and he's not like um uh, you know he's he knows the nuances so uh, i'm a big fan of his that's good because we're not always we're not always sometimes we're very critical. Um, yeah, I mean that's yeah, a lot uh, that, of that's, the media that's sucks. Well, that's like one of our um that's one of our go-to is like find an article and just trash it like if we don't have uh, an, a a topic for that day. Um, yeah. I try to, I try to be fair, but you know, this is I'm doing this on the side, so sometimes I'm just <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, many many articles suck because Although I would love it if like an if if uh, you know, not enough people listen to this, but I would love it. Like if an author came back and been like, you were wrong about that. I was right. Blah, 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 blah. It's never happened, but uh, you know, I, it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that is funny. Well, yeah. thank you again, Max. It was a delight to be interviewed. All right. Thank you very much. That's the show to support the local maximum. Sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel, feel the power. 